Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the military's top tech problem could be requirements. The iron majors that produce requirements, I said facetiously for years, if the Army could build a nuclear-powered tank that would fly itself to the battlefield, they would want it. They would have a requirement. Obviously, technologically not possible, cost-wise not feasible. Anticipation is building for the TSP's big upgrade. When we talked about the mobile app, people were like, where is it? Right, and, and so they called the, the call center, and like, not yet, not yet, but we'll let you know. And a head start for the Labor Department on its zero trust journey. The department has been spending a lot of time and money to uh, modernize all of our equipment and our applications, and that fits right into a zero trust model. It's Wednesday, April 27th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Department of Veterans Affairs is investigating another outage of its Genesis electronic health record system. The agency says the system was offline for more than two hours on Monday at the agency's facility in Walla Walla, Washington. The same facility had another outage Tuesday, but VA didn't say how long Tuesdays lasted. The agency blames load imbalance for Monday's outage. The vendor, Cerner, blames a system update. The Thrift Savings Plan's digital upgrade will take its services offline in late May. The project the TSP calls Converge will support a mobile app for participants and improve customer experience, according to the leaders of the TSP. More on the outage later in the program. You'll read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. IT leaders from CISA and HHS headline the Government Innovation Strategy and Technology Conference May 19th at the International Spy Museum in downtown D.C. You can find the link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Defense Department's new acquisition leader is finally in place. Bill LaPlante is the department's new Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment. Major General Arnold Pinaro, U.S. Marine Corps, retired as Chief Executive Officer of the Pinaro Group and Chair of the Board of the National Defense Industrial Association. He's author of the book, The Ever-Shrinking Fighting Force. Arnold, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What's your takeaway from the selection and now confirmation of Bill LaPlante to take over this job in the Pentagon? Welcome, sir. Well, Francis, great to be back with you. And I would say this is a gold star, five-star appointment in the Pentagon Dr. Bill LaPlante's one of the most experienced, most knowledgeable individuals. He's got industry credentials. He's got academic credentials. He served before in government in the Pentagon in key positions. And this is one of the most important jobs in the Pentagon. Our Pentagon spends over $400 billion a year on goods and services, supplies and equipment. And frankly, uh, we spend more, we take longer, we get less. And Bill LaPlante has got to turn that around. So we're very excited to finally have him on board. You write about that in your book, and we'll talk about that in a minute if we get a chance. But it strikes me there's two main things that Bill has ahead of him. What you just outlined is one, and the other one is continuing this evolution that started a a while back of the separation of the ATL job into the job that Bill has now and into the job that Heidi Shue has now. What's your sense of what has to happen in the coming years for that to be successful, Arnold? Well, Francis, the two of them have got to work together. They've got to work hand in glove. We're spending over $250 billion a year on research and development and procurement. Heidi Shue owns the R&D. 
Bill LaPlante owns the procurement or acquisition. But as he pointed out in his confirmation hearing, we don't have a lot of hot production lines right now. And Heidi Shu and Bill have got to work together. So we move the stuff from R&D into production so it can get into the hands of the warfighters. In the previous administration, the heads of those two positions really didn't get along very well. Whereas I think Bill LaPlante and Heidi Shu have committed to work hand in glove, and that's really important. Well, and they each come out of services too, which I think is helpful. They understand what the relationship, what a healthy relationship between OSD and the services looks like, I would think. Not only that, they're not bureaucratic. They're both very energetic. Heidi Shoes, kind of a ball of fire, very knowledgeable, had the Army job, acquisition job. Bill had the Air Force acquisition job. They worked together then. But again, they understand with the kind of money we're spending, with the technological challenges we have with our peer competition, mainly China, who's ahead of us technologically, we have got to get these things into the hands of the warfighter. From your position as a senior official at NDIA, what does that look like in regarding the relationship with industry, Arnold? Well, they've got to improve the relationship with industry because it took them so long to get the people in the industry facing jobs nominated and confirmed. It's been a little bit of a slow start with industry's normal working relationships with the Pentagon. It's really picking up now. We have Andrew Hunter in the Air Force, Doug Bush in the Army, Bill LaPlante at OSD with Heidi Shu. I've got a few more to go, but it's picking up now. But it got off to a slow start. But they understand uh, we have the world's finest military for three reasons. One, we recruit or train the best people. We give them realistic training. But ministry provides all the technology, so our warfighters are never in a fair fight. The Pentagon doesn't produce anything. It all comes from industry. So they have got to work with industry. It's got to be a two-way street. Do you see the the people that we're talking about in this conversation uh, having a role or having a large role in making it easier for companies that don't traditionally do business with the Pentagon to do so? We've talked about the Valley of Death before, Arnold, and uh, all those kinds of issues. What's your sense of, of how that's getting better if it is? Yeah, I, I think it is because it takes these people at the top um, – and these people are very committed to that. The Deputy Secretary of Defense, Kath Hicks, that is one of her top priorities to bring non-traditional suppliers. There are a lot of impediments. Uh, at a hearing this week before the Senate Armed Services Committee, two of our top experts uh, in this area talked about that and the need to break down the barriers. And I think we've got the people in the right jobs now to help to do that. It's not going to happen overnight. How would you measure success in that area? If, I, if, yes, it's not going to happen overnight. What's a, what's a reasonable timeline, Arnold? Well, I'll tell you what success is not, and that is the head of Raytheon saying that the soonest they could get production of stingers and ramp it up to meaningful quantities is two years. That is not success. In the commercial world, things turn around in a matter of months, not years. We used to produce fighter aircraft from contract to first flight in five years. Now it's 30 years. China does it in five years. We have got to be better, faster, cheaper than China in everything we do. We're not there. So as, as the chief of staff of the Air Force, C.Q. Brown, says, speed is of the essence. And everybody that's talking about this is talking about speed. That was the theme at the, the chief's panel that I did at Sea Airspace a couple of weeks back. All of the chiefs of all of the sea services said exactly the same thing. What 
what's the big holdup now? What causes that 30 years versus five years disparity that you just talked about? And what can we eliminate in order to get there, Arnold? Three, three things caused it. One is gold plating of the requirements. The, re, the iron majors that produce requirements, I said facetiously for years, if the Army could build a nuclear power tank that would fly itself to the battlefield, they would want it. They would have a requirement. Obviously, technologically not possible, cost-wise not feasible. But requirements have got to be more realistic. They need to bring industry in early on to say, technologically, can you do it? And how much is it going to cost? Two, you've got to basically link the acquisition, the requirements, and the budget processes. They're not linked right now. And, you know, the, you've got to basically make sure you get rid of all the layers of bureaucracy. There are 154,000 people working in the acquisition workforce, 35,000 contracting officers, and they have to follow the 5100 series, which is thousands and thousands of pages long. So you've got to basically streamline the processes, streamline the requirements process, and basically get hot production lines going and don't shut them down. Arnold, it's great to talk to you again. Thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Anytime, Francis. You can read more about Bill LaPlante and his job ahead in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast, coming on Thursday's show, an inside look at the president's management agenda. The Associate Director of Performance and Personnel Management at the Office of Management and Budget, Pam Coleman, is on Thursday's show. You can listen to the Daily Scoop Podcast Thursday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The thrift savings plan is headed for a May 16th deadline. That's the next marker in the TSP's technology upgrade. Kim Weavers, Director of External Affairs, the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Kim, thanks very much for coming on the program. What happens May 16th that your participants should be aware of? Welcome. So, hi, Francis. Good to be here. On May 16th, we begin the planned transition. And what that means is we will stop accepting uh, loan requests, withdrawals, distributions, because we need to clear out the queue for the current record keeper so that the new record keeper will be able to start fresh. And so we are we are planning, we're targeting June 1st for that new record keeper to go live. So May 16th, last day we're accepting, and then it will clear everything out. One date in preparation for that, Kim, is April 29th. It says here, uh, last day to request paper forms and plan materials through the thrift line. What pieces of Converge are converging, pardon the pun, to get all of this in, in place? So what we need to do, as I just said, is we need to make sure that all the body of work that the current record keeper is doing is done and done completely by May 26th, because that's when the cutover begins to the new record keeper. So what we have done is we have backed up and said, what do we what dates do we need to set for our participants to make sure that that all happens. And so the April 29th date that you reference, most transactions are done online. People can go online and process a loan withdrawal or process a, uh, a loan request or a withdrawal request. 
some people um, want us to send them a paper form. And for security reasons, they call the thrift line. We partially send it out. It has a special barcode so that it can't be altered. It can't be manipulated. And again, based on just mail and giving people time to get it, fill it out, send it back. That's why April 29th was that date. And again, the May 16th dates are are the same way, allowing all of those things to be fully processed. Your colleague Tanner Noe lists five categories that are critical readiness activities. Looks like they're all on track. Data readiness, payroll office readiness, security, service readiness, uh, that is people, process, platform, and participant communications all on track. How long has this been in progress? How long has this been in the works, Kim? Because I think you and I have talked about Converge for a long time. This has been in progress since December of 2020. Um, we awarded that contract. We awarded the Converge contract right before Thanksgiving of 2020. So planning began in December of 2020. So it's basically been um, an 18-month process or will have been an 18-month process by the time we go live uh, at the beginning of June. And so, you know, it's enormous, as you might imagine, when you're building a system that's going to how's the data for this many people and security as you listed security was job one, right? Making sure that um, the new system was as secure as our, as secure or more secure as our current system. And then all of the data processing, creating the systems that the new record keeper will need. And one of the things that, that you mentioned is we, they have done that, right? We have, done um, various test loads that we have shipped over to them. And what they've been doing over the past month or so, what we and they have been doing, are running those through the systems. I note that you've been pretty comprehensive, I think, at my opinion, about letting people know what's going on. Three phases of the participant communications campaign that I referenced a moment ago. You did in the first one, mail, you did four emails to people, web portal and social media campaign around it. That's done. You're in the middle now of uh, a mail and email campaign. Uh, also, uh, social media again, updates on the TSP.gov website. What's your sense? Do you have any way to measure whether the message is getting through to people? I imagine there's no way it's going to be 100%. And May 16th, your call center is going to get people going, what's going on? I don't understand why I can't get on the website. But do you have a sense of, of how much the message is sinking in, Kim? So I can answer that in two ways. We have seen an uptick in calls to the call center. Say, for example, when we talked about the mobile app, people were like, where is it? Right. And, and so they called the, the call center and we're like, not yet, not yet, but we'll let you know. Um, so we've seen an uptick in questions to the call center. And we believe that that's driven in part by interest in Converge and in part by I need to get a transaction processed before. So that that says that people are reading it and we are all we are also on the our email campaign getting a very high open rate we're getting in some instances a 60% open rate which for email is 
is quite good. Mm. Um, and so that tells us, you know, people are interested. The other thing we've done is said, if you are interested in a specific topic, let us know and we'll provide you information on that specific topic. So we're really trying to send people information that they want as, as opposed to just sort of bombarding them with, with everything. Uh, I note that from May 26th through the first week of June, it's pretty much going to be a shutdown situation for you guys as this transition happens, right? That's what it, it looks is. like. Yes. It's the Memorial day weekend, basically. Um, so that we, we transfer all the data that, um, as you know, the as of ending date, it trans from the old record keeper transfers over to the new record keeper and goes live um, plan date June 1st. All right. Um, unbelievable numbers for March. I see 3,200 roll in transactions, $151 million. That's a big yes. number, isn't it? It is a big number, but we have, you know, six, six and a half million participants. And what we do is um, we, as you, as you know, we send an annual statement every year to every participant. Um, and for new TSP participants who are 35 and older, we put an insert in there saying, hey, if you have qualified money, if you had a 401k at a previous job, you know, you can roll it over. And so we do see an uptick um, around this time every year of roll-ins. But uh, as you noted, this this was a high for, for us. Any sense of why that is or does it make any difference? Does it really matter that much? Well, the head of our participant services told our board yesterday that it's because we have the best, best plan in the world. Well, um, and, a little biased, know, so but okay. That. Yeah, exactly. A little biased, but I, I think it's a combination of um, we we notify people there's, you know, an influx of new employees and we do our best to, to make sure people are aware of us. All right. Um, I want to ask you one more thing about Converge before I let you go. Uh, the timeline, as we've talked about, for that to be complete is the first week of June. If you get to, say, June 5th or June 10th or whatever, whenever it turns out to be, how would you decide this worked? Is it just if it works or is there more to it than that, Kim, whether you'll judge that the transition was a success or whether you still have more to do? Well, I think it's, yes, it worked. People are able to, you know, go online, access their account, call a new call center, all of those things. That's, that's sort of binary. But then um, is it going smoothly, right? Are the, is the call center able to handle the calls? Are people satisfied with what they're dealing with? So I think it's both quantitative and qualitative that we're going to have to look at post, post the beginning of June. Kim Weaver, always great to talk to you. Thanks very much. Thank you. You can read more about the changes coming at the Thrift Savings Plan in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows. And if you really like it, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps more people find the Daily Scoop podcast. 
The General Services Administration and the Chief Information Officers Council will roll out a series of zero-trust playbooks in the coming months. Those playbooks will include concrete steps agencies should take. Carl Hellman's the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the Labor Department. He tells my FedScoop colleague Wyatt Cash his agency was already doing what it needed to to make zero-trust work. Well prior to the executive order and this move to zero-trust, we have been spending a lot of time in act in the ICAM area and specifically with multi-factor authentication into our systems whether they're applications or our networks so we're i would say we're ahead of the curve on that uh, we still have some legacy systems that we're working on but we have been very focused on providing a pretty seamless entity in for our workforce into systems using ICAM and multi-factor authentication. And then what challenges are you all still facing uh, in trying to maintain things like um, a complete inventory of authorized devices as OMB has recommended and, and also to ensure that endpoint detection and response tools are being deployed properly? Right. So I wouldn't say that it's a challenge of, the, of maintaining an inventory and knowing what's on your, what, ne on your network. It's a daily activity. It's something that, uh, again, with uh, bring your own device, with uh, the you know tablets, with our field workforce, our network is this constant shifting and changing entity. And uh, you know, if you think about it, the uh, past couple years, where all of a sudden we weren't all sitting in the office, you know, we were very distributed. Uh, we have been working very hard on systems to identify that. We've made a lot of progress in, the, uh, in that area, especially working with the CISA and the continuous diagnostics and mitigation. Again, getting out there and discovering the endpoints that we have and then pushing protections you know, to them as we discover them. Because today our network is X, tomorrow our network will be X minus plus something. We're not going to have the exact same number of assets tomorrow. So it's, like I said, I wouldn't call it challenging. I would call it part of our everyday activity. And it's uh, something that we uh, work very hard at the Department of Labor to maintain and, and upkeep. And then thirdly, um, how well equipped would you say uh, agencies and your department in particular, are, you know, um, compared to say a couple of years ago in their ability to identify and, uh, and isolate segments of their IT environment uh, if and when they've been compromised? So we, we are much better off today than we were, uh, we'll just say two years ago. Uh, one of the things, and I, I mentioned earlier is, is our uh, work with uh, CISA on the continuous diagnostics and mitigation. So we have that, uh, that activity completely uh, up and running and we're able to understand what's on our network. We're also able to determine how our network kind of meshes together and if we needed to isolate something from our network, we're ha we have that ability to do that. Uh, with that type of tool and with that type of automation, we're also able to, uh, if you take some of you know potential uh, software breaches or things of that nature, is to you know isolate uh, network equipment, not just, hey, I have a laptop and I went to Starbucks and picked up something bad. No, but we have a server that's running a software that 
has, you know, that now some vulnerabilities have been discovered. We can, using that tool and technology, we can isolate those. And then lastly, um, and kind of looking ahead, um, how is OMB zero trust policies um, altering your investment strategies, uh, either on the network overall or your IT infrastructure from a security standpoint? So it is, it is, making, it is altering our strategy. Uh, obviously, like uh, all other federal agencies and even private organizations, you have a long-range and a short-range plan of how you're going to uh, manage your network and the, uh, the assets on it and modernize and those types of things. And this executive order changes, you know, moving to zero trust in a quote-unquote official basis changes some of that strategy. Uh, it, and it becomes the, the ability for the department and our senior leadership to reprioritize some of those activities that we were looking to do and bring this to the forefront. But part of, some of these things are really things we were always working on. Legacy equipment modernization. Uh, the department has been spending a lot of time and money to uh, modernize all of our equipment and our applications. And that fits right into a zero trust model. Carl Hellman, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the Labor Department with my FedScoop colleague Wyatt Cash. You can find a link to watch the video of that conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast returns tomorrow afternoon with Pam Coleman from the Office of Management and Budget. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.